Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mercer's Energizing the Employee Experience podcast. Here at Mercer, we're the global consulting leader across talent, health, retirement, investments, and of course, employee benefits. For more details, please visit us at uk.mercer.com. In this podcast series, we're going to be exploring the future of work, the latest trends, and of course, all the big topics in HR. I'm your host, Jack Curzon, Consultant Director here at Mercer, and each week I'm going to be joined by colleagues of, of mine from Mercer and wider um, who are going to share all their ideas, their experience, and their insights. On today's episode, we're going to be covering diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I'm joined by my brilliant colleagues, Michelle Sequeira and Tony Wood. If we could start with some introductions as usual, and then we'll get straight into the topics. So, Tony, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Hi, everyone. Thanks, Jack. Uh, great to be with you today. Um, so, yeah, I'm Tony Wood. Um, I'm the UK and Ireland Regional Managing Director for Mercer Marsh Benefits. Um, that business focuses on health and benefits consulting, and we also do a lot of work in digital. Um, we are a joint venture between Mercer and Marsh uh, as well. Um, I also head up the uh, Mercer UK career business as well, um, which I took over recently, so managing two of Mercer's businesses here in the UK. Um, I'm Australian. I've been living here for about 10, going on 11 years, um, and I recently became a British citizen, so um, I, I'm now very much entrenched here in this country. And final thing to say, uh, look, I'm personally a very passionate person around diversity and inclusion. Um, I feel this is such an important area, um, certainly something that, you know, at a personal level, um, I have felt um, and seen the need for more work to be done in this area. Um, but I also truly believe that no business can reach its full potential without embracing the difference that diverse, a more diverse workforce can bring. So that's me in a nutshell, Jack. Thanks, Tony and Michelle. How about you? And thank you for having us today. I'm Michelle Sequeira, and I lead our diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting practice. Uh, it, that sits within the career business that Tony has, has mentioned. Uh, what we do with firms is everything from articulate a company's DEI strategy through to the action plans that sit under that. But we also help firms implement um, initiatives to help bridge that gap and actually build a more inclusive environment. Um, a little bit about me. I um, I am a female mixed um, mixed culture, a cultural um, uh, background. So I grew up in Dubai. I'm Indian and I have a Portuguese passport. So practically from many different places. Uh, and I my personal passion is to ensure that everyone feels like they can belong and thrive. Uh, this is why I created this this consulting offering, and this is why I make it my my life's um, work to make sure that colleagues and clients can thrive. Hugely excited to be here today, and look forward to this discussion. Amazing! Thank you so much, both Tony and Michelle, for the intros, and welcome on board. Um, I'm going to start with quite a simple one, I think. And diversity and inclusion, diversity, equality, equity, all the different words have been very um, popular you know, in recent times in the corporate world, used very differently by different corporations to mean different things. Over to you, Michelle, first of all, what is your definition or what does diversity and inclusion mean to you? 
Absolutely. Thank you, Jack. Um, diversity is how well um, an organization has a workforce that represents the communities that we serve. So it's it's representation based and it's it's really understanding well, do we have the, the representation that mirrors our consumers, that mirrors our suppliers? Uh, inclusion, on the other hand, is about fostering belonging. So it's it's in ensuring and focusing on developing a culture, an environment, and an experience that instills a sense of belonging, a sense of authenticity and, and trust. When we think to equity, because you would have heard my title, it's diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting. Um, this is a newer concept that we are pushing organizations to consider. And this is really designing to ensure access so, so it, it's it's different from equality. It's it's ensuring that our employees re receive equitable rewards for their work and access to progression and pay and experience. Uh, so, hopefully, that helps set the baseline of what diversity, equity, and inclusion does mean. Massively, yeah. Thank you. Uh, the first thing I think about when I, I hear the expression diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, is obviously the the diversity angle, which has been at the forefront of a lot of discussions in recent times. I think inclusion has got a little bit left behind over the years, and it's really interesting to hear you explain it so um, so smartly there of belonging, and that's so massive for me. You know, for people to feel like they belong in an organisation that they're included, being the operative word, um, and also when I when I hear about equity, I think of that image that has been used quite a lot of people trying to see a baseball game and giving them equality is just giving them all a crate and they're different heights so they can't see giving them equity is different size crates for their personal needs so they can see the baseball game i think there's another angle which we might get to in a couple of years which for me is removing the fence altogether which is the liberation angle but i don't think we're quite there yet i think we've got a lot to to learn to get there but really really useful thanks michelle the, the next thing I wanted to do is, is really kind of ask uh, Tony as well, in his opinion and what you've seen working with clients and your personal experiences, how has this definition essentially changed and developed in recent times and over the years? Yeah, good question, Jack. Um, uh, I think in a, in a number of ways. I mean, first of all, if I focus on the diversity aspect, um, I think a lot of organisations have recognised the power of a more diverse workforce, as I said, it's something I totally believe in personally. Um, and, and we've seen, you know, many, many businesses with a more diverse workforce enjoying greater success than their competitors. So I think employers have really recognised that and they do understand it, that it's really, really a critical area. Um, in fact, even in our most recent report, we, we report regularly um, a global talent trends report. And I think in the last one, um, it was 81% of employers are actually focused on improving diversity, equity and inclusion. So, so I think the diversity piece has been well recognised by employers. I think inclusivity, um, I think this has been a really interesting area because I think a lot of organisations were so focused on diversity and so they're changing their recruitment strategies and they were saying, you know, how do we make sure that, you know, we're really fostering our diverse talent, but they didn't have an inclusive environment. And so for me, diversity without inclusivity is a bit of a shallow promise, okay? There's nothing there. And so people join the organisation with a great expectation and they don't actually feel welcome. 
And so inclusivity for me has really developed as people have appreciated that they were hiring people and then losing them because they didn't have the right environment. And there's a big thing here around employers having policies in these areas versus the, the employee lived experience. If the lived experience doesn't correlate with what the employer says it believes, then it's just a shallow promise. And too many organisations have discovered that to be a real problem. So I think that's been quite a driver of why inclusivity became more important. And I think also a lot of organisations also recognise it's not about creating a whole lot of clubs. Um, this is about inclusivity for everyone, not exclusivity in little clubs for some. And I think that's also where it's evolved in more recent times. People have recognised that everyone should feel welcome, uh, but you need to manage it differently. So your baseball game analogy is a really good one there. Um, it's recognising those differences. I think the equity piece, this for me is definitely a more recent um, development. And, and I think, I, I guess, things like the whole Black Lives Matter movement that came out of George Floyd's murder in the US has sort of spurred on some of that thinking. Um, and it's definitely, I think we've seen a rise of social consciousness. So from the employee's perspective, the employees now are actually holding their employers to account. In some cases, businesses are finding their customers are holding them to account in that they want this to be real. You know, employees will literally make a decision on who they want to work for now based on how real this is. So the, the, the rise of that social consciousness um, and social well-being has become a really, really big development now. Um, and I think there's a lot of inequalities that have become very clear in recent times. So, you know, COVID, I can't really have this conversation without mentioning it, I'm afraid, but it really has highlighted some horrific healthcare inequalities um, in many, many different countries. Um, and there are different healthcare needs for different communities. And so actually understanding um, health and wellbeing through a DEI lens is very, very revealing. You know, the different genders have some different healthcare needs. You see older versus younger people have different healthcare needs. People from the LGBT plus community have different healthcare needs, particularly the trans community there as well. People living with disability. And then you bring in racial and ethnic groups and you suddenly see very big inequalities creeping in there and it's frightening some of the things you see but but this is this is real um and this is absolutely you know how people are now beginning to recognize that they need to think differently about this so, so i think a combination of employer driven understanding these issues better but actually employee driven too about the expectation has increased a lot and you know it's not just what you say you believe in, it's what you actually do that counts. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think action is so important there rather than potentially just talking about it. Uh, there's so many things you said there, Tony, that I want to kind of recap as well because it's vital in this conversation. I think you mentioned about it's not just about having a group or you know a, a subgroup of people talking with each other or identifying them and then your diversity inclusion agenda is complete because you've organized a call with with people to get together you know that's just one part of what should be a very expansive strategy and with with my employee benefits head on i kind of think well you know the conversations we have with clients about 
financial well-being where we say look it's not just about your pension scheme and with health and it's not just about pmi it's about 20 things working together the same strategy should be applied to diversity equity and inclusion as well and say well it's not just about groups or representations or things like that it's about inclusion too and it's about people feeling they're part of a process and and two-way a two-way conversation um an expression does also spring to mind that i've heard quite a bit recently around catfish culture and that is um you know being transparent to people to to help them realize that a company may not be where it's where it wants to be in diversity equity and inclusion but being okay to say that so they're not saying that they are totally far ahead on a journey and all the images in the websites and the corporate leaflets have lots of people of color and different backgrounds on and you walk in the office and you might be the only person in that group there and it's not what you expected I think a lot of businesses need to be very, very careful about what they're doing in that space. So they're open and transparent with people. If they're trying to change recruitment processes, like you said, then that's great. If they're not being truthful about the journey that they're going on, I think they've already failed before they've kind of started. I absolutely agree, Jack. I mean, I think, you know, you've, as I say, you've got to be looking at, you know, what the strategy that's being set at the board and, and, and senior management level you've got to be looking at line manager training. Do they understand? And, and yes, lots of organisations have done unconscious bias training and things like that, but there's a lot more than that. You know, how do you support employees with disability? Do you understand them? Do you understand things like neurodiversity now? You know, I, I think people are just beginning to recognise some of those issues. So you've, you've really got to think about that. And I absolutely agree. It doesn't matter where you are on the journey, but be honest about it. The worst thing in the world is this disconnect you often see um, where senior management think we've got a great approach to this, it's fantastic, and we're doing all the right things, and then you do an employee survey and they don't recognise that at all. And that's because that lived experience isn't living up to uh, what senior management are hoping it will be. Yeah, and that, that neurodiversity is a great topic on its own, right? We could probably do a podcast episode, hopefully we will do in the future, just about that. The, the first thing that springs to mind when you say that to me is just the sheer amount of work a company could do around recruitment on neurodiversity and when they're hiring someone potentially not giving them a 120 page contract written in legal wording you know maybe giving them something that's audio based or what if people are hard of hearing or sight different options to support that um and obviously i know it's difficult to gauge but again being honest where you are on the journey is important and the last thing i just want to say before i ask another question as well is that social consciousness point you made i think for me, it's massively about education. Like there's so many different areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion that you can't expect everyone to know about them, but we need to educate people on the different areas. So, you know, one thing that springs to mind in the last 12 to 18 months is white privilege, for instance, as a topic, Um, you know, educating people around different opinions around it. Um, It's not a debate. And, you know, it's saying this is, this is the thought process in this space. These are people's different personal experiences based on, you know, potentially the colour of their skin, but also their upbringings and things like that. Um, If people don't know about these things, we're never going to move forward at all. So I think education is massively important there. And it kind of, for me, starts to potentially bring a separation, particularly in the race field, of people assuming they are not racist versus being actively anti-racist, which is a very different scale for me. Um, so Michelle, I wanted to ask you as well, on the back of what Tony's mentioned around developments of 
of areas of diversity and inclusion and kind of priorities. From your experience, what have you seen um, client priorities do in recent times and potentially have they changed from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, it's very much building on what Tony said that because I think the foundation and the understanding of the changes has helped um, with some of these priorities. So if I think to just a few years ago, um, DEI was not a priority um, at the board level. Uh, that started to emerge when gender pay gap regulations came out because we, we know that to change a pay gap um, you need to change your workforce profile. So it started to become a conversation at the top um, as part of those regulations. But, but really, that's that's the first priority. You know, firms are starting to, to look at it right from the board as, as one of the key, key priority areas. We just recently launched a report with the Reward and Employee Benefits Association uh, in collaboration with Mercer Marsh Benefits. And 95% of firms are committed to becoming purposeful, responsible businesses in order to drive future business growth. As part of that, shifting skills needs, demand for top talent, and you know, increasing recognition of the link between DEI and business sustainability and responsibility has really shifted this focus now such that 78% of organizations have said that their boards are fully committed. That was the top priority. And, you know, just a few years ago, that would have never been the case. Now, you know, with that senior level commitment, it's starting to trickle through such that HR and managers and employees are starting to see the real need to make a difference um, in, in their culture and, and experiences that employees have. The second priority that firms are looking at um, is linking diversity, equity, and inclusion and ESG. So more and more organizations are, are, are linking DI to the social element of ESG. And this really comes to life when firms consider living wage or equivalent and global minimum standards. You know, um, one of the, the, the more prevalent ones are menopause policies or uh, transgender support, as, as Tony was articulating before, parental leave and an understanding that it doesn't stop just at birth. How do we support parents throughout and how do we ensure uh, equitable access um, so that it's not gender based parental leave, you know, um, so there's this huge link between the social aspect of ESG and DEI. But, but further to that, um, organizations are increasingly starting to link metrics with, with um, ESG and DEI. So to give you some stats, because I do like a good statistic, um, when you consider short-term incentives, 28% uh, are already linking short-term incentives to, to DEI and representation and inclusion-related metrics. And on the long-term incentives, 15% are already doing it and a further 20% are considering it going forward. So that's, that's, that's great news because we know that what gets measured actually gets changed as a start. But also if there's an outcome or reward at the end of it, you tend to, to put more focus to it. And then the third, again articulated and in the strong conversation that was just had, many organizations are finally moving beyond gender. And let's be fair, this does not mean that they are stopping to focus on gender because we all know that organizations are far from gender parity. It's instead firms are increasingly looking at 
other aspects, whether that be, you know, those six key traits, such as race and ethnicity, or people with different abilities, but through to the more nuanced aspects, like social mobility. Um, some, and, and I'd consider them leading organizations, are looking at intersectionality. And that's really, you know, how people's identities can overlap. So, um, you know, thinking about categorizations like race or class and gender and how they might create interdependent systems of discrimination. Now, that, that is a, a fair few. So that's only 31% have started to do that. But, but indeed, that's the move towards the future. Um, so really, we're seeing the shift in, in where organizations are prioritizing. Um, and I'd be happy to talk through how they are going about that shortly as well. Thanks. That's, that's brilliant. One, one question that always springs to mind for me around what you've mentioned, Michelle, is, is data, the availability of information. Because those stats, by the way, were, were really interesting. But I always think, you know, if we knew all of the personal attributes of our people, we could make so much better decisions in supporting them. But also, where do you draw the line? Because if one person in a group of, I don't know, name the number right, has a specific need, how far do you go to address that need in supporting them, but also wider people? And, and I always talk about an example of a previous office I worked in at a company where there was a like a broom cupboard and they opened up the broom cupboard and put a curtain on it and said it was the meditation, breastfeeding, relaxation room prayer room as well and it was it was fine right for a small group of people but i i know that if the organization knew that 70 percent of the workforce needed to pray several times a day or something it wouldn't be a broom covered with a curtain but getting that information is so difficult in recent times clearly what do you think i love that you've picked up on that because um I think having the right data is imperative. When I talk about data, there are three types of data that we typically would recommend firms look at. The first is to your point, right? It's workforce data, understanding um, our employees a little bit better. And, and that's, you know, the actual um, characteristics or demographics, but it is also, when you think about workforce data, it's promotion rates, it's hiring rates to understand, well, are we actually treating these employees equitably? The second is the employee voice. So as we were, we were talking about earlier, it's understanding those lived experiences. Um, such, you know, in your example, I can bet that those employees that had to go to that broom cupboard were not very happy about it. So understanding that lived experience and, and then being able to prioritize actions accordingly. And the third set of data is actually revisiting our policies and practices. And um, and it's not that you only look at one at a time. It's it's consolidating insights from all three that will really give you an understanding of where an organization needs to prioritize. And let me just give you an example. With a multinational pharmaceutical organization, we worked with them to identify um, why exactly were they not getting the gender and ethnicity representation in their most senior grades? They had it in the junior levels, but it just didn't filter through the top. And we looked at all these three types of data. Um, and what really came to the forefront was they had biases in how they hired. They thought it was promotion. So I call it myth busting because really we helped them realize, no, you're just not getting people in the door fairly enough. 
you know. Um, the second was that they had um, lack of diversity of thought. And, you know, if we don't have that diversity of thought in the first instance, then you're very, um, very focused on perhaps different things. You need to span that out a little bit. And the third was really the work-life balance. So this firm thought um, that they had, you know, this hugely flexible organization, anyone can apply. But when we looked at the data and, and their website, firstly, the data, no one applied for flexible working requests. You look at their website, they had 20 reasons why somebody couldn't apply. And one of them was if you were a manager, there are many managers, right? So, so it's combining that data, which will help you understand just what you can do about it. Um, lo and behold, we were able to change that round and focus the actions. And they were able to change their representation, but more importantly, also increase their engagement from, from all of their employees as well. So I think it's hugely valuable to look at data and the employee experience, because then you can cater the outcomes a little bit better. Thank you. And Tony, I wanted to ask you a question, you know, specifically thinking about yourself as a, um, as a leader, you know, of an organization, but also externally, someone who is passionate and an advocate speaker about diversity and inclusion, you know, you've been externally recognized as a top influencer. What processes and what can companies be doing in this space to, to you know, kind of move the needle and and actually achieve things, both internally for the organization that you're running, but also so externally people can see it too. Yeah, I think I think it's a really good question, Jack. Um, I mean, I mean, I think the first thing I say is that this needs senior leadership to own it. This isn't this topic that you just say it's the chief people officer's responsibility. It's the whole of the, the top team. It's the CEO. It's everyone in the top team. And so if I look at the way we approached it in Mercer here in the UK, our CEO and all of the senior leadership team embraced this area and said, we all need to own this because for it to work, um, it's going to take all of us um, to get involved. So I think that's the first thing is ownership. Everyone needs to own this um, and play a part in wherever you decide to go with it. That's the first thing. I think second thing then, you know, you, you do need to understand where you are right now. So, I mean, one of the things we did, we hired Michelle. Um, so we thought, why not? We'll, we'll get Michelle in. And so we used Michelle as our um, DNI advisor to help us on this journey. And it did start with data. That's where we started. We got some data reports, which helped us to understand how we look today in each part of the business, uh, what was happening in terms of when we recruited people, what was happening when people left, um, what the, the mix was, gender, race, ethnicity, et cetera. Um, we looked at what was happening at different grades. So we, did, we just started with that data cut to help us to understand where we really were. We then developed a strategy around, well, where do we want to be? And we tried to make that realistic. This is no point setting yourselves up for failure. So I think we were very realistic about what we could achieve over the next few years. And then we committed to that as a group and said, that's what we need to do. So I think forming a strategy, but, you know, that strategy is going to evolve. And the one thing I, I wanted to say here at this point, because I think this is so important, if you think this is just a one-year little project, you're kidding yourself, right? You're in it for the long haul. In fact, you're in it forever. Once you start, there's no going back. Uh, you're not going to make the difference, I don't believe, in a 12-month period. This is a longer haul approach. So, again, 
staging that and deciding what to tackle first. You don't have to tackle everything at once, but look at what you do want to tackle. Um, I do think you need to look at what you're doing, saying and doing internally and how you're portraying yourself externally. And when I say that, I don't mean that from a, a marketing point of view because it looks good in the market. I mean it more from the point of view that, you know, you have to be real about this in the way you're talking to your customers. And if you're really serious, you'd be looking at your supply chain partners and you'd be talking to them about, you know, where, what they're doing in this area because you should be partnering and you should want to partner with organisations that are like-minded in this area. So, so that correlation between what you're saying and doing internally and how you operate in the market is really important. I mean, if you're championing um, this area internally, but you're supporting organisations that are doing perhaps the wrong thing, um, straight away there's a disconnect there and, and people are going to challenge you then, like, well, what's going on? So you do need to think about both aspects. Um, I definitely think looking at policies, sometimes, you know, you just have simple HR policies that are just out of date. Um, I know we went through that exercise, particularly from the LGBT plus community's perspective, where we had a look at that. We decided, you know, we needed to change our policies to reflect where we are today. We needed to think about even building infrastructure, gender neutral toilets, things like that. So, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do and start doing. And the second you start doing any of those stuff, the best thing about it is you're signposting to your employees that there's something real happening. It's not just a statement on a town hall. It's actually real. And, and you know, you, you need to also understand you will get called out by your employees. Increasingly, they're not scared to hold you to account. They'll ask the questions. You know, we, we've had the questions of, you know, the, the makeup of our senior team and, and have we got that right from, from a diversity point of view? You know, I think we look pretty good from a gender diversity point of view, but we've had to put our hand up and acknowledge that, yeah, we probably haven't got the ethnic diversity on the senior team at this point in time. And so I do think that point came up earlier about just be honest about where you are, right? It's okay if you're on a journey. Um but celebrate what successes you have got because that reminds everyone um, that you're making inroads into this and you're, you're, you're advancing the area. And I think above all else, you know, talk to the employees in your organisation. Listen to them, okay? They will give you some rich information. Um, you know, we, we on a recent town hall, we had so many questions that came up, but that was really good because it told us what our employees were thinking about. It told us the areas they really cared about passionately. And it also hinted to us where they thought we were doing a good job and where they thought we still had a fair way to go. And I think that's really helpful for us as a senior team because that immediately galvanised our focus and we said, right, we now understand where we need to be putting in more emphasis and more effort. So I, I also like Michelle's point, think broader than gender. Too many organisations, it seems to be all about gender. It's not just gender. There's so many different areas here you need to be thinking about. Um, and so, yes, you can start with things like recruitment policies, et cetera. That's all wonderful and, and you can take action there. And absolutely, you should be looking at a diverse candidate, a slate of candidates for a role. Totally agree with all of those things. But you've got to be going further than that. As I said before, an inclusivity, you know, you've got to think about line manager training. I mean, we just recognised recently that even some of the training we've done probably hasn't gone far enough because it hasn't understood some of these, I guess, more recent nuances that have come out that, that really need a different style of attention. And we can't expect our people managers to necessarily all be superhumans that understand all this stuff automatically. Their intent 
more often than not is really good, but they just don't completely understand this stuff. So education is massive. Um, and again, you're not going to do that in a, a training course tick. I've done it. it it's going to have to keep evolving um, over time, I would have to say. So, um, I mean, they're, they're probably some of the key things I'd say. I mean, certainly when we're working with clients in this area, you know, in the health business, for example, you know, we work with clients to agree what minimum standards they want for their employees. So that might be a starting point. And then once we've done that, we'll say, okay, let's develop a strategy around that. And so they might they might really want to focus in, for example, on what they're doing to support um, women's health, men's health, the different programs there. That might be a starting point. And so let's start there. Again, data always key on all of this, absolutely. Um, but then looking at, you know, what other needs are there from a healthcare point of view that are very unique and specific. So that's just one example. That's a good example. And I think, let's face it, we've been through a pandemic. There's been a lot of focus on health and wellbeing in a lot of organisations and people risk is huge. Um, and I think there's a view now that we have a, a huge labour shortage. Somebody has said to me it might be the biggest labour shortage in the UK since 1997. Um which also says to you the war for talent is real. And so, as I said before, the importance of uh, that lived experience, employees will hold you to account. And if you want to attract talent, then you need to be working in some of these areas and demonstrating that it's real. So, yeah, a, a lot to do, but chunk it down. Don't have to do all at once. And if I could just add to that, because Tony, that was hugely helpful. So there's there's not much that I wanted to add apart from two main points. Um, you articulated, you know, um, organizations might be focusing on attracting and recruiting. And, you know, a lot of organizations are looking at diverse slates of candidates. Um, to your point, it's going beyond that. So we talk about embedding DEI into the whole DNA of the employee experience. So that is that, that manager interaction. That is um, uh, ensuring that we have bias-free talent management practices. It, for so many organizations, their performance management process is completely flawed. You know, we we unconsciously might be might be rating and and I, you know we know this from 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 uh, client organizations we might be rating one population um on average much lower than another cohort and this is unconscious bias in action so you know it's it's looking at at becoming as bias free as possible having robust pay equity practices um ensuring to your point about communicating openly it's it's communicating proactively and and um and with a strategy so that people are constantly reminded of the good that we are doing, where we are on the journey, where we have to learn as organizations um, and what we're doing going forward. So that's the first thing. It's the whole employee experience. But then the second thing um, that I wanted to add is organizations need to be measuring their results. They need to be demanding accountability and, and you've already articulated sharing transparently. Only a quarter of organizations actually have goals tied to reward, as I was, I was alluding to earlier. Um, and, and, you know, actions that really make a difference to organizations in the accountability spaces, you know, understanding what success might look like. So if you have a, a performance management uh, initiative, what does success look like if we are to do that right? And holding ourselves accountable if we don't, do we need to tweak something? Um, you know, so, so understanding those suitable metrics and goals, 
have a dashboard if you haven't already and start to review that um, more and more frequently and, and start to communicate that, you know, share your metrics and where you stand against it because your employees will appreciate the honesty. Um, and if you aren't one of the, the quarter of the organization, start to consider linking reward to DEI goals and not just at the exec level, go beyond, go throughout the organization. Every employee has a part to play in building an inclusive culture. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. So at this point, I'll just do a quick check-in. Is there anything either of you haven't covered that you'd like to cover? Yeah, look, the only thing I would say, Jack, is, like I said, you don't have to do it all at once, um, but start if you're not already. And it doesn't matter where you're on the journey, but, but keep going. Um, that's all I'd say. Um, no matter how small you start, just do something and get going on that journey. And I was going to say something very similar. My key takeaway is literally change is up to all of us. We each need to do something today, whether you are the HR director, um, you know, wherever you sit in your career and whoever you might be, we each have a part to play in improving the experiences of others and our workplace our culture. So um, we look forward to you progressing your DEI journeys and understanding the priorities that you need to make and really take accountability for it. Thank you so much. I, I completely, what you've both said resonates with me so much. I think doing something is the, is definitely a priority and change being basically at the f- forefront for all of us is huge. There's a, a Martin Luther King Jr. quote that I've used before in presentations that, that goes, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And it resonates with me massively because I kind of, as as a leader myself and someone who's making lots of business decisions, I find not doing something is so much worse than making the wrong decision potentially sometimes. And we will get some of these things wrong. We may say the wrong things and we may do the wrong things, but I think where Tony is saying start a journey, where you're saying, Michelle, make a change. That's the, the biggest thing here in all of the different areas. So I think that's massively important. Um, thank you both so much for all the insight. It's been fascinating. It's been so interesting. I hope that we can get you on another episode when we go deeper into a particular topic in DEI. But your insights today have been so brilliant. So thank you so much for joining the show. Pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting us. Yes, thank you for having us. Thank you. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please download our other episodes and also subscribe. Uh, if you have any questions, we will provide contact details for the guests in the sub notes and things so you can you can reach out directly. But also you can contact us at mercer.uk at mercer.com or you can go to the website for further resources, which is uk.mercer.com. We'll see you for another episode. Thanks very much. Thank you.